so uh, why why is your name first but m- my in, name in the first. episode descriptions i don't in know the episode descriptions it's it's colin and philip and you always introduce yourself first too okay well, I mean, I introduce me, and you introduce you. You always go first. I've, I've never, I've never really thought about it. I mean, I, I write the descriptions, and so I just like I, I write my name, and then I write your name. Is this a big deal? It's not, not a big deal. Okay, well, I don't, I don't know where this is coming from. It just seems like it's, a little bit. It also just, it makes sense. It makes sense, okay? We'll settle it this way. My name comes first because C for Colin comes before P for Philip. But that's not how we list people. We list people alphabetically by last name. My name starts, my last name starts with L, yours starts with S. Mine comes first. Okay, so that's, that's one for one. What does your middle name start with? Richard, it's R. Okay, well... One of mine starts with J, so there it's right, in my other favor. One starts with V. Why are we going with the J one? Because that's the only way that I win this <laughs> argument. <laughs> Welcome to a couple of friends talking on the internet, just like the show. Today we're getting into staged. I'm so excited about this episode. Welcome to this episode of I Never Got Into That. Uh, that is one of our hosts. His name is Philip. <laughs> and that's Colin. It's true. It's true. Uh, man, if you haven't yet seen this show, then I don't think you will understand that that might have been our best cold open to date. Boy, we're hitting our swing with this thing. Today, we are talking about the BBC original and Hulu presentation of Staged. Philip, what is your exposure, which is the only one because you exposed me to it, of Staged? Uh, I discovered it... It was a while after it had come out. Um, It... So I'm not... Bits of it started to show up on my YouTube feed, actually. Um, hmm. And when I figured out what it was from, I started looking around to see where, where could I watch this and found it on Hulu. I think I, I think I discovered it maybe like, uh, I don't know, six or eight months after it had come out. But um, it was not very long before the second series uh, was announced. So it was um, it was a while after... But I watched that and I was just, it's, it's so, so good. Like it's such a bizarre and unique sort of thing, um, that I've been trying to convince anyone I encounter, uh, to watch it. Mm. Like literally anytime David Tennant or, or, or Michael Sheen or a movie featuring one of them comes up, I ask, (laughs) have you seen stage? You know, it it falls into that that kind of sweet spot of recommending something that's so good. Mm-hmm. It's like Ted Lasso for me, which you're gonna have to get into because once you know it and how good it makes you feel, you just go. It doesn't matter what you normally like. This yeah. one you will. Yeah. yeah. This somebody and- standing near a copy of Twilight in Barnes and Noble. <laughs> have you seen stage Martin she- or Michael Sheen, who's in the film adaptation of those books over there? <laughs> Yeah, but did any of those movies make any money? <laughs> oh, this show, this show. It's I, I have been exposed to uh, staged because of Philip. Um, we'll get into my personal timeline a little bit here in this episode, which will explain why uh, I just took, aside from him being one of my best friends in the world, why I just took Philip's vote on something and said, "Yep, okay, I'll watch it." Um, staged. Boy, this is a description that I will never have to give again. Staged is a period piece or time capsule television show 
set during the COVID pandemic. It stars Michael Sheen and David Tennant as themselves. It also has, uh, let's see, Simon Evans, who plays Simon. Premise of the show being that there are two actors during the pandemic who are locked down and bored out of their minds, offered the opportunity to do some rehearsals for a show over Zoom. And it only just loosely being the premise to get us to watch the chemistry of these characters. Mm -hmm. The entire show recorded over Zoom calls, actually. The uh, the story of our cast coming together, the incredible chemistry that is uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen, uh, starts with another show, uh, which is based off of something that we are both very passionate about, comes from the, uh, the world of Good Omens. Mm-hmm. When Amazon took the rights to the Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett classic, uh, Gaiman, who had famously been hesitant to adapt the novel, had lost Terry Pratchett uh, to his ongoing battle with Alzheimer's. One of the last interactions that Neil Gaiman had with him was he received a letter from Terry Pratchett, which said, Good Omens needs the movie, and you need to do it. And it was the final wish uh, before the Alzheimer's overtook Terry Pratchett, and he fell into a coma. Uh, less than a year after that wish, and then passed. Mm. Um, Gaiman and the producers sat down and had a conversation, and this is one of those magical properties where they both listed, like the the producers and and Neil Gaiman himself, they all just kind of listed their dream casting, much like theater nerds are like to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've but definitely done that inst- with Good Omens, driving in the car with my wife. We did that with everything that we read (laughs) in college. It's a a delightful game that you should definitely play. Johnny Depp and Paul Bettany, by the way, was me and Kelly's uh, fan casting for uh, Crowley and Aziraphale. Who was your first? Johnny Depp as Crowley and Paul Bettany as Aziraphale. Oh, I would love to see them in that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very fun. That, oh, that's a good one. If you haven't seen Good Omens, uh, we're not going to be able to justify doing an episode for quite a while because we have both definitely gotten We've into it. But you should also. It's true. It's, uh, you should read the book and you, you should really watch should the show. The book. It's just, the book is just so delightful. Good. It's, I've read it three times. I, I adore the book. Um, but this particular project, Gaiman and the producers got everyone they had on their dream sheet. Everyone wanted to work on That's this. That's awesome. Through working together, Sheen and Tennant became actual best friends. Uh, you can see their chemistry on screen is just one of those magically undeniable moments of two people who just fit together. I think it's so uh, and- wonderful that this very real friendship came out of this because Good Omens is out of the very real friendship between Pratchett and Gaiman. Um, and so I think it's just, it's, it's, I didn't realize they didn't know each other until you were telling me, I didn't realize they didn't know each other before good omens, um, uh, Sheen and Tennant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I just think it very, very sweet and delightful that this great friendship blossomed out of this thing that blossomed out of a great friendship. I think it's such a beautiful cycle because you've got, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, who are both esteemed geniuses in their own departments, but write so very differently from each Mm -hmm. other. And they create the world of good omens in which you have an angel and a demon becoming Mm -hmm. best friends. They are equal in the opposite sides of each other. And then you get to Martin Sheen and David Tennant, who are in the same area, but have gone in completely different directions work-wise. It's such a, a beautiful synchronicity uh, to this, this story here. The two of them took the chemistry on screen and wound up doing the entire press tour of one another's. They, they did everything together for uh, promoting the show, and they just couldn't get enough of hanging out phone calls skype calls facetimes just all the time hanging out and getting to know each other better but what they did not do is have much time with their families together 
as actors, they uh, they carried on going to location and leaving home. Their wives met each other once mm. uh, at the premiere while they were both pregnant, mm. as both women uh, delivered a child within a month of each other. So they said that their conversation was literally just about babies. <laughs> but then uh, Simon Evans is the writer on the show. Simon Evans' biggest acting uh, credit prior to this is in the film, the epic masterpiece, timeless work of cinema, John Carter, uh, which will definitely not be maligned for its entire existence. Uh, Simon Evans is actually a, a theater director of some note. He uh, famously directed an adaptation of Tracy Letts's Killer Joe, which starred Orlando Bloom. It was also adapted into a movie that stars Matthew McConaughey in the titular role. It's classic Tracy Letts for you theater nerds. Uh, it's not easy to digest, but it sure is entertaining. Um, that won him massive acclaim, brought a lot of heat to his name. And he used some of that to further his work as a director for Secret Cinema. Philip, have you ever heard of the Secret Cinema Group? I have never heard of the Secret Cinema. One might say I've never gotten into that. Oh, well, oh, how on brand of you. Allow That's the name me. Of the show. <laughs> I know that phrase from somewhere. Um, that we should just have a Family Guy sound effect of, oh, he said it. He said the name of the thing. Um, Secret Cinema, he directed two performances. The idea of Secret Cinema is that you go to a location knowing you will be entering a living movie. The first oh. of the ones he directed was in an abandoned warehouse where he directed Shawshank Redemption. You would walk around fully immersed in the world watching the story take place in the various rooms around you no right way, no wrong way. So imagine like a nativity play that you would walk through or drive through, mm -hmm. but it's Shawshank or it's Miller's Crossing, which is the other one he directed. Wow. Yeah. They've gotten to the point now where they, they see over 5,000 people per performance. And so they're having to tell people ahead of time what the movie is. Yeah. But before it was just come to this location, you're going to live in a awesome. movie. I love it. He was supposed to go into rehearsal for Tom Stoppard's The Real Thing in London. And then a little, little illness called the coronavirus began to work its way across the planet. Mm -hmm. In the lockdown that followed, it's no surprise that someone who is behind something like fully immersive movies would decide... We need to find a way to make art in this. Yeah. Before we carry on any further, uh, full disclosure time. Philip never got into the world of, uh, of theatrical experiences. I, or themed experiences, I never got into the pandemic. Uh, I didn't experience lockdown. I didn't experience any of those restrictions of social distancing on the scale that most people did. I had some issues arise in my life, which led to me being uh, secluded from society in the incarceration style. And so I watched all of this happen from a third person view. So Philip, what, what was art in the pandemic? You know, um, it, it was weird, of course, because just from a from a, an artistic style and a an entertainment perspective because initially you know you had things continue to release tv shows and things like that um but of course all movie releases stopped were put on hold indefinitely everything uh everything just came to a screeching stop and so all the films you were looking forward to ceased um all the you know a lot of the tv shows that were in production of course had to stop production uh which as we mentioned for mythic quest um in our episode mm -hmm. on that um and 
it was kind of cool to see that the the instinct that Simon Evans had of I, I still want to do something, I still want to be creating, that the instinct of needing to be creative or needing to share creative endeavors um, being just a compulsion, even in very adverse circumstances, uh, was not limited to Mr. Evans. Um, I think one of the cooler things to come out of the pandemic to me, or to come out of the lockdown to me was seeing so many different creatives uh, finding ways to share their work uh, mm. and the better known ones, the, the better, better off ones um, trying the best to share it for, for free or to use the sharing of it for charity. Um, so uh, I didn't know at the time, but Andy Circus had been contracted to read, to narrate audiobooks of the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, um, because of course he had. Uh, Why wouldn't he? He did for charity a Hobbit marathon reading, um, in which all of the, in which you'd buy digital tickets to watch the the stream of it, and he just read the whole book in one in one long sitting. That's awesome. Um, and uh, you know that that got released on the internet, and I found that, and my daughter watched that and read along the Hobbit. Um, a lesser, not not quite so well known author, but a lesser fan, young adult fantasy novelist um, and musician named Andrew Peterson did a a weekly did a, a weeknight reading of his um, Wingfeather Saga, which is a, a young adult fantasy series uh, that he read for just a couple hours um, on his Facebook page. He just went live on Facebook and just sat by the fire in his, in his little writing cottage on his land and read often with his family sitting around That's him in the room. Awesome. Um, Patrick Stewart did a sonnet a day, like just every day. He just released a video of himself recording uh, on his Facebook, reading one of Shakespeare's sonnets started at one, just went all the way through them. Wow. Um, and at various points stopped and talked a little bit about what this sonnet was significant for, when this sonnet was written, and like just unleashed his Shakespeare knowledge on everyone. What a blessing. Uh, the, yeah, the Globe um, in London, they have, you can, you can uh, acquire recorded performances of various things from the Globe, uh, and they made their library, uh, or a substantial chunk of their library, free. Wow. Um, so you can't go to plays, but you can watch awesome people do Shakespeare at the Globe. Um, That's incredible. And there was just a there was just a whole lot of that. Um, and then of course you had things people creating things. You know, John Krasinski famously launched his own made up news show. Not made up, but yep. he made up his own news show called Some Good News, uh, where he just just told happy things that were going on uh, in the midst of this. Yeah. That was one of the more delightful things ever. The most, I mean, frankly, for my money, the most just plain delightful thing from the, the lockdown was some good news weather report in which John Krasinski would get some way famous actor to just step out of their house, look up at the sky and go, it's, it looks pretty good. Like <laughs> Robert De Niro, Brad That's Pitt, incredible. like, crazy famous people um so i i think it was just really cool to see uh artists and creatives come out of the woodwork to use their talents for charitable means or just just use what they had to just be decent and and try to make people feel a little happier lavar burton came back out of retirement briefly and did some reading rainbow um oh that's glorious like it was just it was amazing. Um, so that was, you know, for all of the gloom and bummerness that was the lockdown, uh, it was, there was some pretty cool stuff with artists just feeling compelled to create and doing what they could to, to show it off or to, to use it to lift spirits and in, in whatever ways they could. That's fascinating. It's so strange for this once in a planet event to have been something that that I had to just live via news reports. So I right. 
Yeah. I never got to know of any of the the potential positives like that. I never got to see any of the 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 human spirits victories until I got out and you said uh, a couple months after have you seen staged and uh you sold it as being these two actors who I had watched shortly before my incarceration in Good Omens just going through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, sure. I don't know what that's like. Let's let's find out. That is the setting for season one, is that uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen have been cast by Sean, or by Simon, um, in six characters in search of an author. And rather than sitting around and going stir crazy during the lockdown, they're going to hoist uh, rehearsals in their their video calls on Zoom meetings. This idea of Simon Evans to to make season one before we get into season two, um, how how correct would you say it it encapsulated what the feeling was? Because there's a slow deterioration over season one. The guy's beards get a little bit longer, and as that happens, mm-hmm. one of the, the famous issues that they run into is this desire to just go scream at birds. <laughs> Any excuse to get out of the house. Uh, I definitely I definitely felt that. Now, I mean, I was in a place that was not, that was never fully locked down. Essential businesses were always open in my area. Um and I was able to, you know, I was able to go grocery shop of, of my, of the adults in my household, I have the best immune system. Um, mm. and so, uh, I tended to be the one venturing out, um, go grocery shopping or stuff like that, or pick up food. We did a lot of, did a lot of picking up food. Um, we did a lot of all of us pile into the car and go acquire picked up something like the, or, or curbside or someone right. walks out and puts it in the back of your car. That, there's a lot of that um, contactless curbside pickup where all of us would get in the car just to leave the house. Right. Um, a lot of walking uh, just, yeah, there was just a, it, it's, it's just something that doesn't, ring as significant in your life the every occasion you leave the house until you're told you really can't or at the very least you really shouldn't right um and that was that was uh mentally taxing and, and we did a lot to try and you know we have, we have a young a young daughter um who i guess was 10 when it started um and that's very taxing on a on a kid um, yeah, you know, we went, we I went to imagine. spring break and just never went back. Uh, and so we did a lot of things we could to try and mollify that. We let her turn the spare room where I'm recording now into a blanket fort, like just the whole room. She, nice. we, we attached blankets to the light fixture in the middle of the ceiling and draped them around like a tent canopy. Um, and that's, that was her den, her nest, <laughs> uh, for a lot of the time. Um, yeah. So you, you did anything you could to just find some way to engage with something. Right. Um, so it was, it was really surreal. Uh, and so I, I definitely felt, I never went outside and just screamed because I don't live, I live in a neighborhood, so my neighbors would have been alarmed. Very I never went back backyard and just screamed, but I felt the urge. I could I could certainly feel the urge to go out into the backyard and scream. Um, One of the things that's that's so interesting about this, as you discussed the way that it it affected people in your household differently, is seeing that portrayed in the show. We mm-hmm. technically follow uh, David and Michael. But in this fictionalized world of their friendship, their wives are also great friends who are on Zoom calls, which, for those of you wondering, did in fact lead to a very good friendship where the two of them are now working on things together. Uh, But this was them pretending to know each other. And in this version, 
it was really, really touching to see the way that they would speak uh, about their husbands and say the things that that the men were trying to share without saying to each other. Mm -hmm. The the vulnerabilities, the the issues that they were going through. On the surface, you have one of them can't draw a pineapple while the other brilliantly paints a, a dawn. But there's there's so much more even behind that. The feeling of the only thing I'm good at, I can't go out and do right yeah. now. Uh, my purpose, I'm not able to go out and do right now. And it's it's surprisingly tender when when you pitched me on the idea of these two guys and a guy who plays their director. I I wouldn't have ex- much like our mythic quest experience for those listening. We're gushing just as much. This this is a, a thing that holds a special place for the two of us. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of tenderness in this and in the, the fake callousness of these men. Yeah. Well, and, and in the, you know, the probably the most fictionalized person who's a real person is definitely Simon mm-hmm. because he presents himself as a director who's really never done anything important. Right. And also who's not particularly good at it. Not, not, not good as a director either. Um, and <laughs> uh, and so he, he presents himself this way, which is delightful in, in its self-deprecatingness, but also um, he just presents himself as really, really needs this. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that, the, that it gets at so well is the just the need to feel connected to mm. one another. I think everybody, I think that's the universal experience was this. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, you say you set out the pandemic, but, or the lockdown, but I mean, you also were not allowed to go outside. Well, this is true. Yeah. I couldn't <laughs> drive to get dinner. <laughs> right. Uh, and you also were, you know, I, I pretty needy for some kind of connection i mean 100 percent. yeah i spent quite a lot of time on the phone to to my quite a pleasure um but yeah i I think it's um i think that's the universal thing is there was just a a need to feel connected and so you've got like the subplot of simon just being broke and not having a place to stay and so he just crashes at his sister's who's going through a breakup and mm-hmm. um, Simon's trying to save his career. And it, it's just, it's all and at the same time, you know, Michael and David are trying not to go insane mm. and their wives are trying not to be driven insane by their husbands, slowly losing their minds. Um, it, it really is very powerful in the way that the thing that got us through, I think, and, and the thing that gets us through most things, I think, is relationship it is community yeah it is the community is the feeling of being of staying connected with people that makes it makes it possible to get to get through that i i think that you surely can feel with yeah the situation you were in that was and i don't i don't mean to say that i didn't have any relation because boy the thing that really got to me is um, I want to say it's the third, maybe it's the fourth episode. Um, mm. It's it's after Michael has been caught. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some of those very honest conversations that you have with your best friend. Like, you know, we're drinking more than we have. It's mm-hmm. the lockdown, but not not crazy, but enough that we're embarrassed about how many bottles we're throwing out. Mm. I didn't um, get to the embarrassed stage, but I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and I, can, sidebar, uh, I only ever want to call a trash can a wheelie bin after this show because they said it's so serious. <laughs> I, I think it. that's just what they call it. Right. It's a wheelie bin for me it's a wheelie going bin. forward. Um, there's there's a moment. Each, each episode ends after the conclusion of that episode's story. And there's mm-hmm. a little, pretty much a non sequitur. And I think it was the fourth episode that was... Um, mostly silence mm-hmm. of Michael and David sitting together, um, and just oh, because his neighbor didn't come to the door. He went over to his neighbor's, and she hasn't come to the door. And that's all he says is, 
She didn't come to the door. Yeah. And they sit. And that got me emotional thinking about those phone calls that I would have with you or with other mm-hmm. of my my chosen family. Where it was almost like the high school relationship of like, I, we don't have to talk. I just feel so much better knowing that you're on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. Like that sense of being alone. And, and the way Michael shared that, that emotion of, of just pure uncertainty and anxiety, and they just sat with it, was so, so quietly powerful to me mm-hmm. uh, that... That was the first one that I was like, okay, we're going to take a break for just a minute. Yeah. Um, because cause I'm there with them. And it was also a testament to the fact that as we discussed yesterday, pre-show, I didn't realize that the whole show was scripted. Yeah. Uh, it it has. Yeah, it, it, I didn't, when I, first time I watched it, same thing. Yeah, I absolutely felt, this, is, this has got to just be them vamping, right? Yeah. I thought that the premise had been concocted. I mean, they, yeah. there's no way they were going to be in six characters in search of an author. Like it's, I know the show. I auditioned for the show. They would not be good, or they wouldn't take that opposite each other. It's not. It's not their style. But then that maybe they had just like gone off of that mm-hmm. premise, and I didn't recognize that that Simon had written the entire show. Yeah, and that. Though it's moments like those that just, they had such a breath of actual life to them that that season one of this show was really unlike anything I've ever watched. Yeah. And it, it hit in a special way. And that's why, as we were outlining this, it was important to me to ask Philip what uh, lockdown art had been like because... This this isn't the same as if I were to go back and watch uh, Patrick Stewart read a sonnet because, you know, now it's Patrick Stewart reading a sonnet instead of having been there on the day that he gave it when it was needed. This puts you in that world. It mm-hmm. puts you in that that moment by sharing yeah. it with these people. Well, and everybody found ways to do this, or I think most of us did. I, mean, I, I will say I have relationships that were hurt by the by the distance um mm-hmm. and that that i didn't maintain well enough or that or the other person that or whatever um but i and i'm sure me and my family drove each other uh just nuts um being in constant close proximity um but yeah i think everybody found ways to feel in touch i played a whole lot more tnt <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever I possibly which for you could. is saying something. Uh, uh, whenever I possibly could, um, just because it was something to do with people. Like there were people mm-hmm. on the other end. Um, so yeah, it, and I think the weird thing about this show is that I don't. You know, this is a brilliant show, but my grandkids won't get it. Right. You know, my daughter lived through this. My daughter will remember this. And so if my daughter, you know, in, in her 30s were to come upon this show, it would be funny and she would remember it. She would remember right. what this was like. But my, you know, my grandkids wouldn't. Um, I hope. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, barring some, some future disaster that puts them in the same scenario that they won't, they wouldn't get it. It wouldn't make sense. It's a, it, it is, it's a, it's a historical artifact. Yeah. Of um, this exact moment. <laughs> yeah. Which is so weird to see someone create. And and I think a lot of people tried to. Like there was a, I don't remember which uh, network did it, but one, one network tried to do uh, a Zoom-based ba- sitcom. Uh-huh. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't this. Like it was just, right. it, it, it felt like a, Ah well, uh, we as a network we need to be making some money here, so um, you know, it didn't. This felt honest, yeah, because it's it's goofy, but it's goofy in the way that Friends are goofy, and yep. it just turns on a dime to very very real, um, in the way that real conversations can. It was it's fascinating to watch because it's it's 
kind of watching two other people have the kind of conversations that you and I had yeah. that led us to decide to make a podcast. It's yeah. like, you know, just talk about the effect of things. Um, I think that it's interesting you talk about the future generations that they even discussed that. They were aware of that in the making of it when they talk about uh, whether or not uh, David uh, and Georgia, Georgia is mm -hmm. David, right? Yeah. yeah. If, uh, if they're homeschooling. Mm -hmm. and what they'll remember about this time. And uh, he says, well, it won't be weird to them. They're kids. And, and there's something about that, you know, you, t you said that your daughter was, was 10. Like at 10, you just do what you have to do. Yeah. You do what you're supposed to do, as opposed to that, that free will having been taken away from an adult is, yeah. Is a very staunch thing where she'll look at it and remember that there was a lockdown, but she was also 10 in it and didn't necessarily have the same awareness of her complex reaction to it. Yeah. Which is, is very interesting. I just, man. And that's all this that we're talking. This is season one. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the first series because it's British. This right. is yes. series one. Do you have anything else on series one before we we uh, I'm good flip the script? Yeah, I'm good to move forward. Season two is uh, is more of the same and also completely different. Mm -hmm. um, there are some very substantial celebrity cameos in season one yeah, that we have not that. mentioned. Because uh, hopefully you're going to watch this show and you will go, how did they not talk about this person? Season two is maybe the most meta thing I've ever watched <laughs> in my life. Like, the community just goes, how'd you get away with being that meta? Like it, It's like an entire season of one Rick and Morty episode. It's crazy. <laughs> the idea of series two is that... Uh, staged has been a massively successful TV show based on their Zoom calls. Uh, and so season one that we saw was fake TV, but season mm -hmm. two is now them actually having conversations about who should play them in the American remake. Because, because Americans don't know David Tennant and, Martin, uh, and, and Michael Sheen. Like, they're just... Right. No idea. They're, they're nobody. They've got no name recognition in North America. No one cares who they are in North America. Yeah, there's, which, there's is the least, which is the least plausible part of this entire thing. <laughs> right. Like, they're half of the reason I watched the show was you told me their names. And right. I went, yep, okay, fine. But I love that self-deprecating feeling oh, yeah. of... You know, we're we're just not that big in America. Oh, man, I love like speaking of this this sort of self deprecation. Like one of the best uh, self deprecating digs. I guess it's not self deprecating because Martin because Michael. Oh my gosh, because Michael Sheen doesn't get to deliver the line. But David Tennant is talking to someone. And he says Michael Sheen. I'm like who's Michael Sheen? Is uh, when you meet him, you'll know. <laughs> you'll recognize him when you see him. Because he does that in season one. That's exactly how you describe Michael Sheen's work. Is <laughs> it's how we described F. Murray Abraham, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it's he does that in season one with one of the cameos where yeah. he goes, uh, "Yeah, you know Frost Nixon? <laughs> nope. Uh, Twilight? Nope. Any of these movies make any money?" <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> uh, so there has been a a feud between the men. They mm -hmm. have come down. Maybe I missed it. What really drives them? It's just the way that their characters were received, right? Yeah, it's well, it's that it's that everybody assumes that they are their characters, since their characters are exaggerated versions of themselves, and they don't exactly like the fact that when you exaggerate someone for comic effect, the part of them that you obviously exaggerate is their foibles, mm. and so the. Um, you know, David coming off as cartoonish and Michael coming off as horrible to David uh, <laughs> because they're so British. Like, so, of course, half of what they say are little, little sniping, joking digs at each other, which was also very relatable to me with the way that me and my friends talk to each other. Right. Um, Absolutely. 
Well, we're also video game kids. We get to this from from friendly roasting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it's incredible the 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 people that we see in uh, in season two, the the list of cameos, the names. Now it should be noted that season one was actually critically very well received. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a darling. It's so wonderfully well done. It's so earnestly, honestly written and presented that that everybody loved it. And accordingly, season two had cameos. These people appearing as themselves from Michael Palin, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Christoph Waltz, Ewan McGregor, Hugh Bonneville... Ken Jong, Jim Parsons, Josh Gad, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Kate Blanchett. Like, are are you kidding me with this? This is well, and most this of is, them presenting themselves as if they're auditioning for these for roles. Michael and, and and auditioning for Michael and David. Like they're they're pitching themselves, and that's for so those people. Good. Yeah, it's so yeah. Good. And uh, the first series uh, was was far better received than the second. The second was criticized as uh, staged is at its best when the duo are being funny rather than debating whether mm. or not they're funny. But I don't know. Oh, I, yeah. I thought that it was as opposed to being maybe it's not as endearing. But it is also kind of interesting to see this perspective on how seriously we take other people's opinions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Josh Gad is my favorite cameo uh, of the season. His insistence on a professional work environment, his mm-hmm. his profane intensity is uh, is just delightful. <laughs> and... And Jim Parsons delivering some beautiful personal growth breakthroughs he's is really so just, sweet. He's so it's delicious. Sweet. It's so good. He's just the nicest. And it's so fun because, again, I'm sure these are all exaggerated versions, but it's sure. kind of how I want to see these people from right. now on. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I think my favorite, my favorite cameo is the one where they have Hugh Bonneville and Christoph Waltz. Um, because... In what universe would you cast those two people to play David Tennant and Michael Sheen? Like, what is what is the universe where those two people are cast as the, especially to solve the name recognition problem for David Tennant and Michael Sheen? <laughs> that they even address like, do they know you from anything but Downton? He right. goes, well, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, I don't know, but I've done lots. <laughs> it's and I mean, so good. I, and I don't know if I could have told you Hugh Bonneville's name. <laughs> like, Lord, oh, Lord Grantham. I got you. Yeah, I, I don't know him even from that. I know him from that BBC Two show that I'm eventually oh, going to get you, you just, to watch. Did you just admit that you never got into Downton Abbey? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I've seen it all. Don't make me watch this, please, God. Please, God. This will be the first episode of the podcast that my mom listens to all the way through, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We would have it would have to be a sarcastic episode because the stakes have never been lower than they are. It's, it's so good if you just it, it, until you think for a moment about what these people are really, really broken up about. I have seen I have seen one episode and with no context here spoilers. It's with a car accident. And uh-huh. my mom was shattered. And I just went, boy, I, I guess that character mattered a lot, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to watch with no context for the show. I'm sitting in my mother's day room and she is just standing in front of the TV in pieces. And I was like, huh, you, you really care about these people, huh? Everything it's... rides on this dinner party. <laughs> it's just it's just maids and fancy people. <laughs> That's all the show is. It really is. <laughs> this Ooh. has been a delightful sidebar. <laughs> it really has. It's... And I say this as someone who thoroughly enjoyed down the well, I watched about half of it. I, I stopped somewhere in the, in the middle of the series, but 
I thoroughly enjoyed the it. parts that I watched, yeah. but boy, none of it matters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, season two ends, and so does Staged. Oh, the ending of the season of season two is so so sweet and so it's nice. It's so sweet. It's got the perfect edge of of dissatisfaction mm-hmm. for comedic sake. Yeah, uh, they get a good chuckle out of it, but then you're also able to, after the journey that you have been on with these people, enjoy the victory of mm. the moment. The gesture is enough, and it's it's just so good, and it was so rewarding. To, to get to the end of. Um, although I'm not sure if I if I am technically aware of Simon's ending. <laughs> does he does he get to be involved in the American version of staged? Because it sounded like he was getting fired, wasn't he? Uh, I can't remember. I watched I rewatched season one, but I haven't rewatched season two. Um, I I know that they wanted that there was a, there's a bit in season two where the question is, well, is everyone getting recast? And no, it's just David and Michael. Like everyone, everyone else is going to play themselves again. Just not David and Michael. I love this show. Uh, I am not finished with my my rewatch of season one. And after we get done recording tonight, it's what I'm putting on because I just I find it so delightful to just listen to their banter and it's, back and forth. And this is such an odd episode for us because we're we're trying really hard not to not to ruin any of the bits because this is this is this is more less of a there's this big fandom around this thing and one of us has missed it. It's we really want you to get into this. 100% like, absolutely. This is so good that this is more like so far 47 minutes of us trying to talk you into watching this. Please, please do. And it's because, as as Philip said, anyone who was in any way close to interested in a topic that had anything to do with either of these actors, um, I can't think of anyone that wouldn't enjoy this. Um, so good. There is it's some universal. moderate language in the show, but that's the, it's colorful. It's not. I would never say profane. This is just beautiful television, and it'll it'll make you feel good. Uh, and and, and it's make you feel seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really does. It really. Uh, there's a um, someone in the early in season one. Someone um, says that the, oh, it's a it's Simon's sister, as uh, of Michael Sheen's portrayal of Hamlet that she was. Um, staggered by his awareness of the human condition or something really, really pretentious like that. And, and rewatching it, I was like, that's such as, as much as that was a joke, that's such a good description of what uh-huh. works about this series. hundred percent. It's just really Simon Davis in writing uh, Simon Evans in, in writing this really just got what, it felt like and admittedly what it felt like to be someone very in, in very normal circumstances. Right. During, during the pandemic. I mean, obviously David Tennant and Michael Sheen are much better off financially than most of us, but someone who, you know, for, for most of us in the developed world, the pen, you know, the, the lockdown was, I sat in my house, I ate takeout. I watched a lot of Netflix um, I I went on walks with my dog to get fresh air, or I sat in my backyard to get sun. Um, I just didn't get to go do a lot of the things that I would otherwise do. But you know, to say that I was really badly harmed in any way, I, I know no one. I know no one who was who who died. I know no one who was even uh, okay. I know a couple people from work, like tangentially, who were who were very ill. But you know me, and, and yes, yes, that's true. You had it, didn't you? Yep, I, twice. I, I forget that because you had it initially. You had it before anyone re- anyone was calling it that. Yeah, because um, you had it very early, uh, and I, so I forget. Um, so I mean, my my life was you know affected, but 
pretty lightly touched. And so the the experience, and I, and I think that's that's a lot of us, you know, unless you are working in healthcare or or were um, you know an essential worker who was still um, having to go in every day, uh, or unless someone in your family was really endangered by this, that was a lot of us. A lot of us were we were just stuck in our houses. It was it was a an intense amount of anxiety brought on by knowing you couldn't do things mm. more than a, a trauma brought on by something that was actively happening to you. And it was really weird. And it was a weird and subtle sort of anxiety that you felt. And I think that's what works about this is it doesn't, it doesn't make the pretense of, you know, you could make a really great drama about someone working on the front lines of this thing. Mm-hmm. Totally could. It doesn't try to do that. It tries to just grab the, what's it just like to be stuck? Right. To just have, have a huge chunk of your life paused. Um, and I think that's what works so well about it is that it doesn't try to make either of its characters seem heroic. It doesn't try to make either, either in their triumph or in their suffering. Yeah. Like there's yeah. nothing heroic about it. It's just it's just human. Um so I mean there's again there's like a lot of us it's it's sort of tangential to people they know who are being affected by it. Um Michael's got a, an old neighbor that he worries about because her family's not nearby and she lives alone. Um David's wife Georgia is helping someone through a pregnancy. Yep. Um, who's partner. who's going through? Yeah, they're a birthing partner. Yeah, that's the term. Um, helping someone who through a pregnancy who who the the father is not around, um, and is trying to get them a like one episode is trying to get them a an ambulance to pick them up while also pick her up while also talking to her on the phone about her contractions yeah. and breathing and that, like it's so there's there's things like that in there the 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 real the real harshness of it is present. But it's on the periphery. Most of it is this sort of quiet, creeping anxiety that most of us experienced. Um, yeah. Not to downplay that that didn't suck a lot and didn't have lo- have serious effects on people. But I think that's what works about this is it doesn't aim for dram- for the dram- the hugely dramatic side of what was going on. It just ang- aims for the the common human experience that that all of us were feeling, regardless of how how else this hit our lives. These two episodes, uh, having been done back to back here, you can really see where Philip and I uh, are drawn to things. We like our our action and our fantasy big and flashy, and we like our human stories to be very quiet, and we like them to, to have space to find yourself in. And as he said, this is really us talking you into watching this show um i also think it's worth noting that while we do say that uh that david and michael in real life are obviously much better off than a couple dudes hosting a podcast uh they also chose to focus simply on the unifyingly human effect of an experience like this um a reminder that even though uh, David is in a three-story flat in London, and Michael is at his estate in the countryside. That I'm so jealous they of his still... fireplace. I'm so jealous of his fireplace. <laughs> yeah, it's epic. They still are alone, and yeah. that uh, they they didn't hide the fact that these are some very successful, well-off actors. Yeah, dealing with just what it's like to be human. And uh, and there's something very special in that. So to uh, to see where things are headed, Simon has actually entered a Warner Brothers partnership with Themed Entertainment. They will be taking the world of his immersive theater and opening an Arkham Asylum what? interactive part. Yeah, a Batman Dude, world. Dude, that's awesome. Tickets have pre-sold out. For the of first course. year, of course they as are. they as they should. Um, there's also a lot to be said about the fact that all the workers there are also actors, and so they are doing things on a very humane schedule. Uh, so 
it's only open for X amount of hours each day and X amount of days out of each week. Um, For David and Michael, we're going to see them again because Good Omens has a season two. Season two. two. Yep. And uh, there is is some, some excitement about the fact that Neil Gaiman asked for uh, both David and Michael to come and go over his and Terry's notes for what would have been the sequel book. So uh, Azraphale and Crowley are helping to write and shape the future of Gaiman and Pratchett's work. Um, You got anything else for this one? Um, There's... I I found a couple articles talking about the... The epi- the series very clearly comes to a good conclusion, as does mm-hmm. actually both series come to a very solid conclusion. Like you get to the end of, ser- of series one and you just decide you don't want to go any farther for some reason. It's not a cliffhanger by any means. They clearly yeah, weren't no, expecting to do a second series of this. Yeah. Um, in, on the question of would you do a third, uh, Simon Evans has said, I would if one, oh. everybody wanted to. Like, everybody who was in it wanted to, again, I wouldn't do it with anyone else. And I had a good enough idea for a twist to put on another series of it. Because, you know, series one stands on its own, stands on its own and then we add the twist of, and now we're going to go meta with it in series mm-hmm. two uh, and make it about casting and adaptation of the... Right. The, the the fake thing we made, um, and so it it would require something like that that he could come up with to where it would not be the same, uh, because he was very conscious of the danger of overdoing it, of wearing out your welcome, um, because it is such a unique thing. So it came across as very much a probably not, but if I had a really good idea of something to to do for a third series of this. Um, or to do like a, a he, he did mention specifically to do like a special um, mm. or something like that for it. That would make sense. I can yeah. see mm-hmm. that. And there were a couple of things like that during the, like um, uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant were presenters at an award show and they did it via a Zoom call as if it was. That's funny. As if it was within the, within the world of staged. That's um, funny. Yeah. Um, I would be interested to see just a, a world of their conversations. I would love for them to make that into a a shorts series that we just get 10-minute excerpts back into their relationship because mm-hmm. I can't get enough of them. They should start a podcast. They absolutely should and put <laughs> us out of the non-existent business. This, uh, this is a series that does not have a rabid fan base. This is right. not a long-lasting thing. It should. It should. Uh, this is, I think I can safely say we both have the opinion, the kind of art that the artists needed to get out. Yeah. It was something that they, not that they thought needed to be said, something that they needed to say. Yeah. Uh, and because we are just appreciators of the entertainment arts, uh, David Tennant, Michael Sheen, Simon Evans, uh, Hulu and BBC for taking a shot on a Zoom show. Thanks. Uh, this is something special. It is. It it really, really is. Philip, if people wanted to get in touch with you on the internet, how would they do so? Uh, I can be found on YouTube, um, on the Geek Pantheon's YouTube channel, running a D&D game called Kyber Shards that you play in, um, in case you I've didn't heard know of that. that. Um, I can be found as a player on a, a RPG podcast called Eberron Renewed. Um, I tweet for the show as at Kyber Shards. That's my main social media presence uh, where one could get in touch with me if you wanted. Um, you know, that's, that's mainly me, yeah. If you wanted to get at me, you can find me on either twitch.tv streaming or on twitter.com having various unrelated thoughts that I release into the world one after the other. Both of those you can find me at sorrybtr, the O is a zero, or on the YouTubes, either in Kyber Shards or at the Game Pass Guru, looking at games available in the Microsoft world. Uh, I know I've said it before, but uh, I'll say it again. Thanks for introducing me to stage, man. 
Hey, my pleasure. It gave me someone to talk to about it because that's, as I'm sure all of our listeners who are geeks understand, that is a great deal of the appeal of getting people to watch the stuff you like is having someone to talk to about it. That the idea behind you sharing it with me was the idea behind it getting made. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't have someone uh, to to talk to about the things you're into, do find someone. It's a much more satisfying way. Uh, we're not alone in this. Thanks for doing this, Philip. Yeah. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you on the next one.